The Nasty Cast might sound like a silly name for a show, but this is a serious fantasy baseball podcast. Okay, maybe not that serious, but these guys aren't just here to party. Here now are hosts Van Lee and Ron Rigney. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Nasty Cast. We're back. I'm your host, Van Lee. I'm joined by Ron Rigney. Ron, how's it going? Uh, considering we have no baseball happenings, no, the stove is not hot, um, I'm okay, I guess. The stove is so tepid, it would be okay if our other host, Brian Vaughn, placed his hand on top yes, of it. Yes, he could sit I on could. It. I could safely do that if I wanted to, because baseball is being withheld from us. And, I mean, we need that, like, pretend that this podcast is some sort of, like, fireplace, and baseball is the wood, and we need baseballs thrown inside of our fireplace. We need baseball's wood. That's what we need to get going, for sure. Yep. No, you you wouldn't put your hand on that stove unless someone told you, don't put your hand on that stove, because you're a real rebel. That is absolutely right. I did once put my hand on a stove, apparently, while my mom was carrying me around as, like, a baby, and it was a big deal. I don't remember it because I was a baby. Uh, I think what I'm gathering from this, and this may be going out on a bit of a limb, mm-hmm. but I think you were a stupid baby. You know why? I because so, all too. babies are stupid. Ron I had couldn't babies. drive yet. Yeah. How stupid are babies, Ron? Um, I mean, they don't. They, I, I guess you could say they don't know a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. What's the coolest thing you've ever seen one do? You think ride a horse? Has one ever done that? Um, uh, probably do a kickflip on a skateboard. Okay, that well, that would, pretty, that would yeah. undeniably pretty awesome. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Is that in, like, Look Who's Talking too? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, no, it's actually it's actually uh, the skater version, Look Who's Hawking. <laughs> oh, wow. That yeah. was good. On the spot, ladies and gentlemen. That was Thank a you. diaper dandy. I might We're have to tap out on that one. Here. Yeah. Wow, yeah. We're, this is it for the Nasty Cast. Thanks for tuning in. We've hit peak already <laughs> on this episode. We don't need to talk about outfielders. <laughs> well, let's kick flip into some other stuff here. We are going to talk outfielders, that's for sure. That's called a segue, folks, or a sieg if you're a long-term listener. And before we talk outfielders, we have a few news and notes to discuss. And, of course, if you like this show and the Boots Inc. podcast network, in which we are a part of, you should check out our other baseball shows, which is the Dynasty Baseball Show, where we talk Dynasty Baseball. Shocker. We just reviewed the Chicago White Sox and New York Yankees' top prospects in their farm systems. It was fun, so go check that out. We also have the Launch Angle podcast on the network, where I talk with Jeff Zimmerman and Rob Silver about high-stakes fantasy baseball, NFBC, and all that stuff. And we're interviewing Derek Carty, the creator of The Bat and The Bat X, on tomorrow's show. So stay tuned for that. And then finally, Brian and I do a show with a good friend of ours called The BoobTube Boys. We talk old TV shows, sometimes new TV shows. In fact, uh, these upcoming shows are from a show that aired this year, Squid Game. Ron, have you seen Squid Game yet? I have not. I've been tempted to, to dive into that a couple times, but I have just not done it yet. It is a hard watch, but it is a cool show. Brian and I both enjoyed it, but uh, tense, very, very tense. It was very different than the 1970s <laughs> police sitcom Holmes and Yo-Yo that we covered before. Yeah, I'm going to have to – yeah, You mentioned that one. I'm going to have to look into that because this is one I'm not familiar with. I don't think you need to look into that. It's not <laughs> worth looking into. It's a, it's a buddy cop show where one of the cops is a robot with a calculator in his chest and the other one is a potato. <laughs> <laughs> I could not have said it better myself. So check out the Boob Two Boys, available on the Boot Two Inc. podcast network. If you really like what we do, check out patreon.com slash boot two inc for just two bucks a month or more. You get access to all kinds of bonus stuff. 
go do it. All right, let's get into the news and notes here. I say news and notes with a little bit of air quotes here because there really isn't much in the way of news and notes, but it's Airing topics to discuss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're going to talk Universal DH. Apparently, both the Players Association and MLB have agreed to a universal DH. So we'll talk about how that changes things. But before that, let's just talk about baseball because the news that has come out recently is that the two sides who are bickering and arguing, if they cannot come to an agreement by February 28th, and we're recording February 24th, that's four days from now, the games will be canceled. Regular season games will be canceled. What do you guys think the odds are that we actually have an agreement by then, Brian? Not high. I mean, I'm not saying that to be pessimistic. I just, I've not read a single thing that encourages me that the sides are close together. It just seems kind of like the owners are holding baseball hostage at this point. And I don't see that changing because uh, the increases they're willing to give are so minimal. Yeah, it's, and, and I'm kind of with you on that. It's, it's one, it, when you have 15 minute negotiating sessions that's not boding well for what we want to happen so i i I saw a tweet from i think it was jeff passon today and he he laid out and i I don't have it in front of me i tried to try to look it up real quick but if if, if you want to see it go check it out but he laid out just the the things that there's are the sticking points are and how far away they are in terms of years or money or whatever it is and it doesn't appear to be close so uh, and like I said, when you're not when 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 one side is not receptive to bringing a mediator and the other side will not negotiate with you, it's just a bad look. And and and, and I, I kind of get it to a point where this is kind of the first time when we've had one of these situations where I kind of am it's it's aggravated me to the point where I've just kind of not paid attention to it, and I'm uh, it, it makes it a little bit more difficult to to try to look into you know, getting ready for the fantasy season and all the, all these types of things, because this time, I mean, we, we should be about what, about a week into spring training or a couple of, at least a couple of days into spring training at this point. And we just don't have that, especially down in, here in Florida. That's one of the things that you look forward to being able to do. And we can't do it. Yeah. I you hit on I'm, a couple of topics I want to touch on. Go ahead first, Brian. I was just going to say, I think I'm almost less phased because this is three straight seasons where we really haven't known what's going on when the season will start, if games will be missed, if sporadically players will be gone for a month. It's been tough lately. It's just been gross. And I think first on the topic of do I think they'll be able to get a deal in place by then? No, I, I genuinely, genuinely do not. And I think if I want to put a number on it, I'll say... I think there's a 97% chance we miss some games at this point because, like you said, Ron, Jeff Bazan talked about how far apart they are and everything. There doesn't seem to be any good faith right now. And I don't think there should be because I think the Players Association have been getting walked over for years. And I think now that they're digging their heels in and saying, no, we're not going to concede to the degree that we used to, I think that's going to hurt baseball because we're going to miss time. But I think it needs to be done at this yeah. point. Agreed. And you said about missing time and how that affects morale and early fantasy season prep and all that. We just missed two weeks of the show. We took a few weeks off. The first week was mostly a schedule thing. The second week was because I was just, I won't say burnt out because burnt out implies I was so deep into it and I did too much 
analysis or whatever it may be. It's more I'm just disgusted with the the way things are progressing. So we took well, a little bit of time off. Hard to get geared up talking about a season you don't know when or if will happen. You know, well, I mean, I'm sure exactly. it will happen. But and, and of all the off seasons too, I mean, I follow a couple of different sports. You know, I do the the fantasy and the NFL as well. But the baseball off season is a ton of fun with trades and signings and yeah. you know everything that was rumored to happen. And we just don't have that. We don't know when we're going to get it. That that's that's kind of what we feed off of for this show in the off season, obviously. And it's just not there. And I see people posting about doing their big drafts on the NFBC or whatever site they may be doing. I don't understand it. Like I'm poor as hell. So obviously I <laughs> to slap down 400 bucks on a fantasy league is a big deal to me, but to slap down 400 bucks on a fantasy league for a season that we don't know when it's going to start, where free agents haven't signed yet, where spring training hasn't happened. So we haven't seen injuries yet is beyond absurd to me. Kudos to you if you make a good enough living that you can just do that without an afterthought, but I don't get it. And even if I did have a lot of money, I don't know that I'd be interested in doing it just because of all the questions. So yeah. I think what I want to say too here is that we're going to keep going as we go along, but if we end up missing games in the preseason, we'll take some time off between weeks. We'll see. I mean, we've got what? Outfielders this week, outfielders next week. Then we've got pitchers and maybe a DH episode since the universal DH is implemented. So we don't have a whole lot as far as positions to go. So stay tuned. We'll see how it turns out. Anything else you guys want to say about this whole debacle before we move on? Not really. I'm just kind of ready. I, I'm ready to get to a point where there are where th- this part of it's resolved and we're waiting through just like hoping no one gets hurt in spring training. Yeah, pretty much. All right, so let's move on to the Universal DH. Manfred has said that it is agreed upon. Both the Players Associations and MLB have said this is it. We're going to have a Universal DH. So I would say what changes for you guys now as far as draft prep or valuations and so on and so forth? What do you think, Ron? Or is it just an individual player thing? Is there an overall concept you can take into play here? I mean, I think it, it the, the biggest thing it, it made for me is it, it really kind of gives some guys that we were a little bit questionable on what their role is going to be. It kind of gives them a role just suddenly. Like a guy I thought about immediately was Dominic Smith for the Mets. You know, he could slide in as their DH. I thought of a guy like Trent Grisham for the Padres or Tommy Pham. You know, these guys that were kind of, you know, going to be either utility guys or bench players or maybe have to get traded or released now – they have a real use for them. And so I think it, it gives value to a lot of guys. I don't know if it necessarily, I mean, I think it widens your player pool a little bit for guys that you you can consider that um, can really help your team out. Uh, and, and I think it adds, it just adds kind of a cool little, you know, cool little wrinkle to, to, to what you're already doing, but I don't think it changes my draft strategy a ton. But like I said, just gives me a new, a new uh, viewpoint on some of these guys that we really didn't know what their role was going to be. Yeah, I think that's the fun of it is it enables more players to get a look and maybe some more bat-only type players and prospects become relevant too with a DH being a known thing. Teams might value that a little more, I'm not sure. I also wonder if maybe eventually down the line in fantasy, do we have a DH-specific position apart from utility? I don't know. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that could change a little bit. We'll see. A couple, it's mostly individual players. Like, for example, I think Will Smith might be the number one catcher overall right now because I think he's going to fill in at DH when he's not catching, and that impacts it a lot. I think Kyle Schwarber is someone you should pay a little more attention to because this opens up more teams for him. Luke Voigt, who is still with the Yankees, 
has now opened up 15 additional trading partners for if the Yankees decide to move him. And I think he could be a starter on a lot of teams. So ultimately, it's going to be that. The other thing, too, to keep in mind is that if you're looking as a whole, a position that might change, it'd be starting pitchers in the National League. I think the ERA change was like a quarter of an ERA, something like that, 0.25. That's how the shift happens when you add the DH. That adds you know, 0.10 to a whip or 0.05 to a whip, whatever it may be. So I think you have to kind of look at some of those National League pitchers with a little bit more of a microscope, but that's not a colossal change. It's just something to pay attention to. So there we go. That's Universal DH. On today's show, we're going to be talking outfielders in the top 20. So this is first of two outfielder-specific episodes. So keep in mind, next week we'll be discussing 21 through 40 or whatever it may be. And we'll give you our favorite buys and sells and all that and so on and so forth. So really today we're just going to go down the ADP list and talk these players who are eligible, eligible, who are eligible in the outfield. And a little bit of a change this week because Fantrax made a bit of a change to their website and you can't download their ADP numbers and you can't shift by position. So I just pulled all these names and numbers off of NFBC. So these are a little bit different from the rankings we've seen in the past, but you get the idea. These players are going to be right around here anyway. So let's dive in with the very first outfielder off the board. It's someone we discussed, I believe, last week, Fernando Tatis Jr. He also played a lot of outfield last year because he had trouble with the shoulder, and they put him out there because it would be better for his arm or whatever. And here he is at number one as the outfielder. We don't have to say a whole lot, but um, would you consider, because you're going to take a top three pick to get Tatis, Brian, would you consider playing him in outfield if you have the shortstop spot available, or is this that just kind of crazy talk? I, I mean, I don't know that it's that crazy. We've talked about the depth of shortstop. If your picks fall a certain way, uh, I don't know what would have to happen. Like, let's say you select Tatis here, and then on the second round, man, I don't even know who it would be, but uh, mm, you it's get hard to come up with or one. something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Then maybe you could pull something like that. But I think you're probably drafting him as a shortstop. Wherever and you can fill a minute outfield if you need to, but wherever you're getting him, you're getting a you know guy who hit 42 homers with 25 steals, battling injuries. So he is a star, very much in his prime. Uh, maybe even shy of it, he has really good plate discipline. I think he's just a star, and the only thing you have to worry about is health. Yeah, not much more to add to that. Obviously, you're, you're you want to put him in shortstop. I wouldn't be opposed to, to putting him at outfield, but I, if I'm drafting him with my first or second overall pick, I'm I'm putting him at shortstop because I feel like I can get outfield, as we'll see in the next couple of weeks, a little bit later on. But I mean, you know, he's I I, I, I agree with you, Brian. I think he's not even reached his his prime yet, not reached his full potential yet, which is scary when you look at his FanGraphs page. And there's only more room for him to grow here. Did play 130 games last year, so you know, like you said, the health is an issue. But we'll we'll see where that goes. I'm not I'm not super worried about that just yet. But yeah, I mean, the guy's a stud, no matter where you put him. There you go, Tatis Jr. at number one. Number two on the outfielder list is an actual outfielder. It's Juan Soto. Soto, of course, with the Nationals, the 23-year-old. He's no longer a teenager, at least, but he is a 23-year-old hitting machine. Last year, got off to a bit of a slow start, but the final season line looks pretty good, albeit maybe a little less of what we might have expected from him. But 654 plate appearances, 29 home runs, 111 runs, 95 RBI, 9 stolen bases, and a 313, 465, 534 slash. Absurd. 
Ron, tell us about Soto. Overall, I would say, what do you think? I, I think the big question for Soto is, what are the stolen bases? Because we saw him steal 12 in 2019. We saw him steal six in the shortened 2020 season. Nine last year. The projection systems have him from 11 to 13. But as a prospect, he was never, ever considered a stolen base threat. And I, I've thought they've been a little bit questionable. But at this point, he just keeps doing it. So are they real? And would you select him as the top outfielder or second outfielder? I, I'm fine with where where you're picking him at. Uh, the, the steals are fine, but I mean, I'm not looking at Juan Soto as a guy that I'm going to get steals from. I kind of looked, I kind of looked at him the same way I look at when I'm draft. If I draft, if I would end up drafting JT Real Muto, I'm drafting him for what he can do with the bat. I'm and this, any steals I get on top of that are just icing on the cake. And I kind of look at that here. If he gives me six, seven, eight steals, awesome. But I'm not drafting him for that reason. I'm drafting him because that slash like you said, is so good. Those counting stats are so good. And and I think it speaks a lot to a guy's talent when he gets offered a 13-year, $350 million extension and turns it down, and it actually sounds like a solid move for him financially because I think he's going to warrant more than that on the free agent market. The guy's going to make a ton. There's talk of him be, be, even pulling in $500 million. I don't know if he gets to that point. But it's it, the only thing that scares me with Soto just a little bit is if you look at that lineup, on roster resource, that lineup is is shaken out to be pretty gross. When you've got Josh Bell hitting behind you is probably the best guy in the lineup, which there's nothing wrong with Josh Bell. But beyond that, there's really not a whole lot ahead of him to get on base. That does scare me a little bit as far as his counting stats. How dare you critique the team that will play Alcides Escobar in his age 36 season? Come on. Yeah. Well, the thing about Juan Soto is I think he's the best hitter in baseball, probably, and that's that's something you can't take away from him. Uh, but in fantasy, there there is the thing like he, he can't steal 25, 30 bases like Tatis. The fact that he contributes any is great. Uh, if you're in an OBP league, he obviously gets an extra bump from the fact that last year he had a 22% walk rate and a 14% strikeout rate. <laughs> that is absolutely – no one does that. That's like a Ted Williams thing or something. Like I don't I don't even understand how someone does that. So Soto's only twenty-three. I think we're gonna see more of the balls in the air go out like they were before. Uh he missed eleven games with injury last year. I he's a player who I don't think you can be disappointed in taking in the first round because he's just such a good hitter. Yeah, he's awesome. And I will still kind of echo the sentiment that I think the stolen bases one of these years are just going to disappear. He's not that fast. And I just don't... I mean, he had nine stolen bases and seven caught stealings. I don't know why they're really letting him run. He's too valuable to let this guy slide in the second base and get his hand stomped on and something happen. That said, Juan Soto is possibly one of, if not the best bet to hit for a 300-plus batting average. Yeah. Maybe him and Turner comes to mind, and that's huge in this day and age. So even if the stolen bases disappear, maybe that makes his value a back half of the first-rounder. Either way, he's going to give you first-round value, and he's awesome. So great. Take him here. It's fine. So let's move on to the next player on this list. It's Bryce Harper, and why am I blanking? But did he just win the NL MVP last year? Yes. Oh, he sure he did. did. That's right. Number yeah, two, yeah. 
I remember saying he should have. And guess what? Last year, 599 plate appearances, 35 homers, 13 steals, 309, 429, 615. Brian, unlike Soto, Harper does have the speed to steal 10-plus bases, I think, as a guarantee, but maybe a little less power, maybe not quite as safe in the realm of batting average. But overall, what do you think of his age 29 renaissance after so many people had just kind of started writing him off? I mean, we talked about it going into last season that none of us have ever been concerned about the guy. I mean, his bad seasons are good, his good seasons are great, and his best seasons are MVP seasons. I mean, he's a great player. I think he's a much safer bet for the 10 steals, but he's a little bit lesser than Soto in terms of a a complete hitter, which is hilarious because he's one of the very best complete hitters in baseball. Yeah, he's Uh, so good, but comparing the two is crazy. Yeah, I think his floor is like some sort of 280, 400, 570 line or something, which is crazy. He's going to hit 30-plus homers. He does that every year and steal 10-plus bases. I think he's a bet for a what... I would say is a solid at 270 or better average. And some years it'll be 300. I mean, he's just a really, really good hitter. I think this is the year we finally see him valued appropriately. Yeah, not much to add there. I've always been a fan of him. I just don't ever end up with him a lot. And I actually ended up with him in the league last year. Very glad I had him there because I had a lot of injuries and he was one of the constants I had, you know, like almost 600 plate appearances. But you see a little bit of drop in batting average, but overall, I don't have much to add. I think the county stats are going to be there. I think he's going to have a, you know something close to another MVP season. That lineup around him is pretty nice, too. 359 Babbitt last year, so I think that's a pretty indicative to the fact that he hit 309, almost 310. That said, I mean, the projection systems are 272 for Zips, 281 for the Bat X, 277 for the Bat. It's yeah, right there. you take that, too. He's going to hit 270 to 285. Easy. And, yeah, everything else will still be there. The power will still be there. The counting stats will be there. He still walks a boatload. He's a fantastic fantasy player. So, yep. Totally cool. That he's he's going right to be here. a Hall of Famer that everybody complained about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's going to be the poster boy for that. I used to say Justin Upton when I would talk yeah. about that that kind of player, but it's Bryce Harper at this point, which is crazy for me because I've swung the pendulum on him because, I mean, I've always liked him as a player, but a personal thing is, is the, the old debate was, who's better, Mike Trout or Bryce Harper? And Trout was without a question better during all those oh, years. Sure. But so many people like Harper more because he's flashier, he has the quotes, that sort of thing. So I would argue against that now people can't stand harper for some reason and i don't get it i think oh. when we look back at like the last 10 years of war those two guys are going to be really high up there yeah but you're also going out on quite a limb there brian that's that's such a, a stretch of a statement to make <laughs> no, well i mean awesome. it's kind of bizarre though because when do you really have two prospects equally hyped in that way at the same time that both turn out to be hall of fame players that's very true yeah that's, awesome guys that's really fun All right, let's move on to the next guy on the list. It's Kyle Tucker, the fourth outfielder off the board with Houston. He's going with pick 11. By the way, I guess I didn't read read these earlier. Tatis is second overall pick in ADP. Juan is fourth overall. Bryce Harper, 10th overall. So we're still in the top 10 with Harper. Tucker is the first one outside the top 10 at number 11. And Kyle Tucker with the Astros last year, 30 homers, 14 steals, and 567 plate appearances, 294, 359, 557. What do you think, Ron? Can he repeat? What do you see out of Tucker coming into the year? I think he can, but it, it it's it's probably the first guy that we've come to that I'm not super 
100% all in on, I'd be okay to have him there. But I need to see a little bit more. I know we saw him, you know, kind of bring it together in, in the 2020 season, as short as it was. And then we really saw him kind of bring it on last year. 25 years old, so maybe he's finally starting to figure it out and get it. I just don't know if I trust him to the point. I maybe need to see another season of it before I feel super comfortable taking him at pick 11 and, and the fourth guy off the board overall. There's a couple of guys I think that I could get, you know, a couple picks later that I feel a little bit more comfortable with that I think would be my first outfielder over him. But I also can't fault somebody if they believe in what he's able to do and that he's just now tapping into what he's able to do because a lot of people think that there's star potential in there. And I, I, I see it. I just don't know if I trust it enough that, that I see it consistently just yet. I totally get that, Ron, because like when I the thing about Tucker, I think a lot of what we saw last year is very much real. He's 25. He seems to have kind of blossomed, doesn't strike out much at all. And he seems to really be a guy who can hit for average and power. But now that I've said that the double digit steals are here for now, but he's an Astro and they were also there for Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman when a hitter really starts to emerge in that organization, like we talked about earlier, Van, they the Astros are one of the teams that will curb the running, I think, to protect the player. So I don't know if that will be there forever. That leaves us with Tucker being, I think, a very probably dependable 280 to 300 hitter most of his good younger seasons with 25 to 30, 35, maybe some years home runs. And that's really valuable but like you said, Ron, I do think at around pick 11, he might not be the guy I want. I will make this a trifecta because I like I didn't Kyle know Tucker. we were all going to think that. Yeah, I didn't either because I always seem to think I'm the low man on him because it seems like everyone really does buy him there at you know the 11th player off the board. And he's good. He's very good. To your point, Brian, about the stolen bases, the projection systems, let's see here, they have a wide range. Steamer says 14 steals which is the low end, and then Zips is the high end with 23. So they don't necessarily buy the stolen bases to the degree that I think people do. And I think you made a very good point about the Astros kind of easing back off of that. That said, I still think he's a safe bet to steal 8 to 12. And Definitely maybe right there's now. more. Sure. So I think the value could be here. It's just the first one that I've kind of questioned a little bit. So let's play a little bit of a dude feud. <laughs> Quack Davis, Juan Soto, Lance McCullers, Justin Upton, Delano DeShield, Franklin Barreto, Carlos Rodine, Whit Merrifield, and of course, Hoog Bowl. So we have Kyle, Kyle Tucker here at pick 11. I'm looking at the rest of the ADP. I'll give you a couple of names of other players who are nearby. So let's see. Shohei Otani's just ahead of him. That's pitcher utility. Kind of, I don't know, maybe a similar profile. Who would you guys rather have between the two? Brian. I think... Oh, that's really that's tough, but I think I kind of want Otani because like he went. That's another forty twenty possible. You know that's that's hard to replicate. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I if I obviously get to use him as a pitcher and an offensive yeah. player, then definitely Otani. But even if I get to just use him as a bat, I'm going on Otani there as well. I just I believe in him more than Kyle Tucker. I might even lean Tucker just a hair simply because dealing with Otani is a bit of a headache at times. That but if true. you are prepared to yeah. deal with him and maybe have daily roster transactions, great. Then I think Otani is hands down the better. Uh, let's see. Let's skip some of the you – know, I think we're going to be talking about most of these guys later. All right. Well, let's just do it. 
Tucker or Luis Robert, who's the next outfielder off the board? Or two, I should say. Uh, what do you think, Ron? <laughs> uh, that, that's actually a really tough one. I think I might have to go Tucker there just because I I, I don't know. He's been – it seems like he's been around he's, – he's a little bit maybe more of a known commodity, I guess. I think I would go Tucker there as well. I, I believe in the bat more, which I think, um, you know, deciding – the steals are a factor, but I – I like Tucker hitting for average a lot more than I like Robert. Yeah, Robert strikes out far more, which it's got better. I mean, 20% yeah. last year, but he's still more of a strikeout threat, and he doesn't walk. He walked 4.7% of the time last year. So, yeah, I'll go Tucker on that one. One more. How about Mookie Betts, who's coming up here? Would you rather have oh Betts or Tucker, Brian? So, so, one thing about Betts, and we'll talk about it later, the projection systems are kind of hoping for a little bit of a rebound. It looks like to something in that Tucker range of the 30 homers, 15 steals or something like that. I, I might want, I might want bets. I'm going to go Tucker though. I think the ballpark and everything are a bit of a factor here for me. I think if we're taking it based on the ADP that we have right here, I would go Tucker because there's a couple things about bets that really kind of scare me. But if I can get bets to fall a little bit from that ADP he's sitting at right now, then I'd feel more comfortable at bets based on the value I think I'm going to get. I kind of feel like that could happen for some reason. Yeah, I do too. I think people, people are hate be bets right now yeah. for some reason. Uh, I'm I take bets. I think bets is a better bet to steal upwards of 20 stolen bases and i'm not saying either guy does do it but i don't know i just buy bets being a big bound uh bounce back candidate this year and really providing value so okay let's just get back into the outfield analysis here we have ronald acuna jr at pick number he's the fifth outfielder off the board pick 11 so tied with tucker we didn't discuss him in the dude feud but what do you think brian do you like acuna this year coming off of the knee injury do you think he plays close to a full season does he run what do you think overall yeah the big thing with Acuna is going to be the missed time and seeing when he begins the season however with the major league baseball season not starting on time potentially we might see Acuna be rising up the ranks here uh if we find out the knee is fine but that's the other concern is the knee is he going to be running even if he's not his bat's not a problem like uh, he's gonna hit for enough average and just a ton of counting stats and home runs that if his stolen bases are down you'll be fine to have Acuna at this spot I think yeah I love him at this spot you're talking about a guy that was last year the number one overall pick in in essentially just about every draft and you know he played 82 over 82 games 24 homers 72 <laughs> runs 17 steals 283 394 596 in 82 games i mean i'll take that all day long and and it it kind of gets to that point where you know where you're you're getting a guy that like i said is was the number 1 pick and you're getting him at pick 12 if if the season does start late that works extremely to his benefit and 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 two you know when you look at acl injuries and the ability of of doctors to repair those and the rehab and how fast guys come back from those. I'm anticipating that that's going to happen with him. It's not the, you know, the, the recovery has, has improved by leaps and bounds over probably just the last five to 10 years. I like Acuna coming into this season. I think what I would say is, and this is absolutely uh, pretentious or splitting hairs. If he were 15th overall, if I were getting him with the last pick of the first round, I would love it a little bit more, and that's only four picks later. But something about 11 and where he's going makes me go, 
I just don't know because I don't like to take injury risks in the first round unless I'm getting a massive upside. And you are. I don't know. It's hard to put in words. I just I like him, but I don't know that I will wind up with him on any of my teams because I'm so risk averse. But overall, he's awesome. And if he plays the full season, he will provide plenty of value. So what I'm take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. He's probably going to be better than what I think. <laughs> Let's do one more here, and then we'll take a quick break. Luis Robert is now at pick six, or rather the sixth outfielder off the board. Pick 16 overall, so we've made it into the beginning of the second round. I kind of hinted that the strikeout rate is uh, a little bit better than it once was, but, I mean, in 2020, he struck out 32% of the time, got down to 20% last year. Is that sustainable? Is that real? And, of course, he also didn't walk at all last year, 4.7% of the time. Did hit 13 homers and steal six bases in the shortened season because he was hurt, 296 plate appearances, and slash 338, 378, 567. What do you think, Brian? Big range of outcome here for uh, Luis Robert. Where do you lie on what the true skills are versus what he could produce? I'm definitely pro-Luis Robert, although I've been oscillating on that scale over the years, as many of us have. But I think that there are some things that can hold him back and create some real volatility between seasons for him, which are his uh, quick trigger at the plate. He's a little impatient. As you said, Van, he doesn't walk a lot. And the that alone, along with a strikeout rate that is coming down, and I think he's making real improvements here. The quality of contact was very good when he played, but it's still high enough that it can result in some more variance. So I like him, and I think there's upside here of 30-20 even, something like that. But we're going to have years where the batting average is up there and years where it's tanked, kind of Javi Baez style, I think. And the hope is that the coordination and the skill like Baez levels out to a point where you can kind of predict it. I, I think the thing, too, with the, you know, with the walk rate that scares me a little bit is if he's not got that high BABIP and he's not able to keep that up, it's going to hurt you OBP-wise. And, and I think that it, you can't expect to get that slash line that you got out of him last year. I mean, you got to temper no. expectations and just look at the – you know, he's more, I think, of a 270, 280 hitter. You know, all the projections – I think the projections are spot on as far as where they're, they're putting his average and his OBP. But I think counting stats, I still think he's going to be a machine. I think he's at least 15 steals. I think he's 30 homers, and I think he's 90-90. So he's going to help you in a lot of places, even if you do take a little bit of hit in the average in OBP. But, is, I mean, at the end of the day, it, are you really taking a hit from a guy that's 280 and 330 when they're giving you 30 – 30 homers, 20 steals, and in, in, in the 90 and 90, I don't think that's really too much of a hit. We just want to see him stay healthy. You know, one of the things about Robert, too, Ron and I just praised him a lot, but as I'm looking at it, too, I like him as a player, but then there's other guys right behind him. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, no, and that's why I will not wind up with any Luis Robert on my team. I think, you know, you said, Ron, and you kind of hinted at, Brian, like 280, and that's what the projection system suggests it could be. I don't think it's 280. He had a 394 Babbitt. That's yeah, I think those are the good years. points up. So, yeah, exactly. Mentioning. If you take 100 points off 338, it's 238, which is harming you. I don't think he's that bad. I think he's 250, maybe 260. But there are still a lot of guys right after him who will be closer to the 300 than I think he will be. And guys who don't walk, you know, uh, I'm a little wary of them. I like Javier Baez in the seventh or eighth round. I don't necessarily want to use my first or second round pick on a guy with a 4% walk rate. So love the talent. I just think this is a little pricey for my uh, for my tastes. 
Okay, let's take a quick break there. We'll get back and continue down the list of outfielders. Nasty. Nasty. Welcome back to the show. I'm Van Lee alongside Ron Rigney and Brian Vaughn. We're talking outfielders inside the top 20. We're up to number seven, and that is Mookie Betts. He's going with the 16th overall pick alongside Luis Robert, also at 16. So what do you think, Ron, about Mookie Betts coming into the year? You hinted earlier that you had some questions. Do you think there's a bounce back in play Overall, what do you expect to see out of the very wealthy uh, right-hander who plays for the Dodgers for the next hundred years? Yeah, it's a, <laughs> he's he's a tough one to figure out, and and, and you kind of hit on something that I couldn't figure out earlier. But what you said about Ronald Acuna, you know, if you you could get him in like pick 15, 16, you'd feel better about it. Betts is kind of that guy for me. I see him at sixteen. If I could get him like around twenty, I'd feel a little better about that. And it's really only a matter of four picks, and then and, and I think that was something that I was kind of struggling with, but. I, I I don't number one I don't know as far as from a stolen base standpoint it says his hip feels felt good early in the off season um, I don't know if that's the I mean I'm hoping that's the case it, you know we, we saw the the average dip quite a bit last year OBP was still there but it seemed like he was another guy that he only hits 23 homers only stole you 10 bases he was a super early pick I know he you know he missed some time like I said with some injury if he comes back healthy. I, I, you know, is he a 30 homer guy still? Is he a 20 steal guy? I, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of variables here. I mean, I, I, I think he, if he figures out the batting average, the OBP is going to be there. He, he's just a guy, I think probably more than any guy on this list, I waver back and forth and I don't really know what to do with it. I know that's a lame cop out answer, but I just really don't know how I feel about him just yet. And therein lies why I wish we had preseason, you know, spring training going on. So you can have an idea of, you know, what his workouts look like and what is, what he looks like in the, in in the spring. I just, I don't feel comfortable about it right here. So he's probably a guy I will stay away from, but I can also see him as a guy that if you do take him, he's, you know, yet again, he was somebody we talked about in the early rounds the last couple of years. He's, he could have that bounce back and tremendous deliver tremendous upside, especially from that pick that you're getting him from. Yeah, not much to add. He has he had just incredibly high floor, which I think makes him kind of a sneaky value in a sense too. But if you think he's healthy and the power's coming back, then I, I think he's a good value here. That's really kind of what you're betting on. And I think he's healthy. I think the power's coming back. And prior to 2021, when he was hurt, he was the most consistent elite performer of probably the last, I don't know, seven, eight years. I mean, this is a guy who'd put up 700 plate appearances every season. He'd get to his home runs. He'd get to his stolen bases. I like it. I think he's a great buy here, and I will probably own quite a bit of Mookie Betts at this point if I have this slot in a draft where that pans out. Okay, let's move on to number eight. My boy, he's fallen. It's Mike Trout. He is going with the 18th overall pick in drafts this year, and I'll, I'll start first since this is, of course, my boy. The big problem with Trout, has been the last few years that is that he doesn't play a full season. Let's see. Last year, just 146 plate appearances. Obviously, he missed most of the season. 2020, we'll toss that out. 2019, he had 600 plate appearances. 2018, 608. 2017, 507. Finally, 2016, he had 681, which would largely be considered a full season. However, on the other side of the coin, when he has played, he has been one of the best hitters in baseball. He will continue to walk at a massive rate. I mean, he strikes out maybe a little bit too much, but that has not been a detriment to him in his career. 
always has the power. Stolen bases have become a question, although I will say if someone says that, that's why will he not run at all? I think there's 10 stolen bases there pretty easily because he's that fast, he's that good, and he's done it a lot. So ultimately, though, I think he's fine at this spot in the draft. I believe he's healthy. I just don't think you can count on a full season. I think at best you're going to get 550 plate appearances, or at least that's how you should draft, and then you should fill in the rest. But a 550 plate appearance season from Mike Trout at this spot in the draft is awesome. I will take that all the time. Now, if you're risk-averse and you don't want a guy who won't get you a full playing time season, fine, I get it. Go ahead and move on. But what do you think, Ron? Uh, Do you like Trout at this spot? I definitely do, and, and immediately what I thought of when I was looking at Mike Trout yeah, at pick 18 overall, the, the eighth outfielder off the board, is I immediately thought of the conversation that we used to have about Clayton Kershaw, and when Clayton Kershaw was getting to the point where he was you know, he was still really good, but you knew if you drafted him early, you were only probably going to get about 130 innings out of him, but on the other side of that, you knew those 130 innings were going to be lights out, so was he worth the pick or not? I immediately thought of that when I thought of Mike Trout, and the answer is yes. I think he's definitely worth that. Like you said, if you get 550 plate appearances out of him, it's going to be some excellent stats. And the, and obviously the steals are going to go down a little bit. You know, especially you know you might you know I think the 10 is a safe bet right there. I don't think you see a lot more than that. He is fast. He's a great athlete. He's only 30 years old, but he is coming off a calf injury. That doesn't bode well for a guy that you want to try to steal bases, but. He is one of the. He's been one of the best. He's been in the number one overall pick for however many years, and he's kind of like what I was saying. You know, with Acuna and with Betts, you're getting a guy that has been taken at the top of fantasy drafts for a long for the last few years, and you're getting him at pick 18 with that still having that potential to put up first rounder type numbers. I think that's a great value. Yeah, I'm with you guys. There's the chance that you can get uh, maybe there's like Mike Trout could be the best hitter in baseball this year. <laughs> across those 550 plate appearances if he gets them. So I, I just think there's too much here, and the floor is that he's one of the five best hitters in baseball if he gets the at-bats. So, I mean, yeah, I think this is fine. It might be the first time in history that I could wind up with Mike Trout on my fantasy team because <laughs> he's always gone with that first or second overall pick, and I never get that in drafts, and usually that's okay. I like to pick later. Although we haven't really touched on overall draft strategy, what I've noticed of all my podcasts going through this is I do not want to pick before like or after like pick nine. I want to go in the top so many because I think the the perk to getting those kind of players is just so high. And on the turnaround, when you come back in the second round, you really want to be in the top, what, 25 or so as opposed to a little bit later. It just gets a little bit nastier. But we'll, we'll touch more on that when we get to the end of the preseason here. When Let's we can smell on. the idea of drafts. If that even feasibly happens this season. Who knows? They may cancel the whole year. Let's go on to number nine. Okay, it's starting to get at least a little bit more interesting. I mean, we're going from these elite guys to guys that you could poke holes in or say that there are flaws with. It's Starling Marte, the ninth outfielder off the board, going with pick 24 overall. So we're getting into the back half of that second round. Last year, Marte, of course, played for the what the Mets and the Athletics and overall had a monster season. 526 plate appearances, 12 homers, 47 steals, and a 310, 383, 458 slash. Brian, he hasn't stolen bases at this rate for, what, six, seven years? I mean, he's always going to be a stolen base threat, but this was elite. Do you think that continues? Do you like him at this slot? 
Okay, so I have kind of some different ideas about this with Marte in a sense that at first I wasn't sure because you're, the power is not a guarantee with him and a lot of the buy-in here is on stolen bases. And I don't think anyone's a safe bet for 40. I think there are just too many variables with that. But then kind of looking at it more and the premium a person has to pay for steals, Marte is a very safe batting average bet. Even if he's not hitting home runs, he's going to hit doubles, triples, things like that to drive in runs. And he is as safe an option to steal 40 bases as anybody. So like, I'd rather take him here knowing that in the first round, I took a big slugger and there's power I can find later than take Whit Merrifield at where he's going. Yeah, I'm fine with Marte here for, for all the reasons that you said. And, and, and plus two, you know, you got to think about, you know, the lineups that he played in last year with the, the Marlins and the, and the A's, I, I look for him in that Mets lineup. I look for that run total to go up. I look for that RBI total to go up. And even if the, stale, the steals do tail off, you know, with 47, take away 20 steals. That's still 27 steals, 15 homers, and a great slash line. So I'm perfectly fine with it here because, like you said, Brian, you know, if you don't get steals here, uh, it's one of those things that every year it seems like it, it dries up really, really quick. And I'm, I'm perfectly fine taking him at pick 24 i kind of had the same reaction you did it seems brian in that i was like i don't know i just like him better as a third round pick but obviously that's just not happening (laughs) but the more i think about it yeah i'm kind of into this look if you have the fifth overall pick in a draft and you manage to get juan soto and then you're coming back around and starling Marte is your second pick that is awesome you aren't going to be in such good shape so i while i want to like other things I see it as perfectly acceptable. And I think maybe if you wound up with Turner or I don't know, yeah, that might be the only, the only option. It. You don't want Marte, of course, <laughs> but, but overall, yeah, it's just, it's a pick. I'm not pleased, super pleased with, but I'm, I think it's a great pick. So there you go. All right, let's move on to number 10. It's Jordan Alvarez. He's going with the 31st overall pick. We've made it into the third round here. Alvarez, of course, is Mr. Young, but with bad knees. Gee, that doesn't hit a close to home at all. But he, in 2021, had 598 plate appearances, 33 homers, just one stolen base. Can't really count on those. 277, 346, 531. What do you think, Brian? Is Jordan Alvarez someone you'd be interested at taking this slot? Or you still think he's kind of a risky pick here for whatever reason? I don't think he's really risky I don't, at this point. I mean, I think there's some injury risk, sure. But, I mean, last year shored up some of that, I think. And he's going to be DHing a lot. But I, what I do think is safe about Alvarez is I think he's going to hit for real average and power every year. As long as he's healthy, he won't have any speed. But I do think he's a legit middle-of-the-order guy getting ready to enter his prime soon. So something like 280 with 35 to even 40 homers is definitely possible. You just won't have speed. I'm not going to – I guess I'm not going to argue with anyone who takes him here. That said, I'm not sure that I would just because of – I mean, I love the stat cast data, everything about him as a hitter. But with the injuries, with the lack of speed and with some other options, I'm not sure i take him here. I, I like him here. He's not one of my favorite picks here, but I do like the overall offense that he gives you. You know, you could wait a couple of picks and get a, a, a couple guys that can maybe steal you some bases and come somewhat close to the counting stats. But I, I, I think it, he's hard to pass on just because those stats, those counting stats are so strong. 
he is a real threat for 35 to 40 homers and 100 and 100 in RBIs and steals or RBIs and, and runs. I should say the steals. Obviously, you're not getting anything. I would like to see him walk a little bit more, but if as long as he's you know making contact and he can compensate for that mid 20s K rate, I, I'm okay with it here. I, I'm kind of like you, Brian. I don't know if I'm going to have a whole lot of him here, but I can't really make a huge argument against it if you get him here around pick 30. We've gotten past the players that you could go, okay, here's what I foresee that could happen, which is a bunch of power, a good batting average, and some stolen bases. The, the stolen bases are gone. So you're now looking at strictly power and maybe an okay to plus batting average. I don't know. I could see him struggle at times simply because he doesn't walk as much as other people and strikes out a little bit too much. But overall, I think well, I think you had it right, Brian. It's a player I'm not going to argue with you about, but not one I'm super psyched to take at pick yeah. 31. It's great, and I think it will work out, but I don't know. I just don't get excited about drafting Jordan Alvarez, which is a weird thing to say because he is a 40 home run threat with the reasonable oh, yeah. batting average. And I would if the spot was a little lower. Yeah, I don't know. Ten picks later, seems like it'd be fantastic. Oh, for right sure. here, it's just like, oh, okay, it's pretty good. All right, so let's see. We have Whit Merrifield next Again. up at pick number eleven. We talked about him in the second base episode. Thirty second is his overall ADP. Let's be brief on this one, guys. What do you think, Ron? Would you take Merrifield at pick thirty two overall? No, we've talked about this. I don't want him at, unless I'm getting him way later, and I especially don't want him as an outfielder. I want him as a second baseman if I have him, but I'm just not going to have a lot of him. Yeah, the age and trajectory offensively are not encouraging. So while he might steal bases, I don't look him look at him to be much of a big-time contributor elsewhere. Even if he rebounds some, this is a really high pick. And I doubt he's a I, – I guess that's harsh, but I doubt he's a 40-stolen base threat. I, I think that was a little bit of a misnomer last year, and he went crazy. So Hard yeah, to do I, with I, a I 317 OBP, too. <laughs> <laughs> For a horrible, horrible team. Uh, check out our second base episode if you want to hear full detail about Whit Merrifield. Okay, moving on with pick 12. 12th outfielder off the board is Cedric Mullins. Cedric Mullins. He's back. And he's going with pick 33 overall. Let's see what you guys think about Mullins here. Brian, he obviously had a monster season last year. Ended up putting up 30 homers, 30 steals, 291, 360, 518, and 675 plate appearances for the Baltimore Orioles. Can he repeat? Do you see a deficiency in his game anywhere overall? What do you expect to see out of him this year? I think he's some version of what he did last year. I do think last year's the high end of it, going full 30-30. I see him kind of as more of a guy who maybe hits 280 and goes 20-20, a little more than that, you know, possibly even. He's a really good player. Uh, he's hitting the ball in the air a lot more than he ever did before, which is obviously the right approach. It's led to more power showing up in games for him. We need to know where he might wind up playing potentially i mean eventually so i i don't know but i really do like him a lot i think he's a very good player and if you need steals without sacrificing a category uh he's a guy that can kind of do that for you yeah i find it hard to believe that he's going to be a, an oriole especially this is looks like this is the last year on his deal but I don't know that he puts up numbers like he did last season, but I, I, I'm like you, Brian. I do think he is a good player. I do think he was quite a find for them. And if you had him in fantasy last year, he's probably a league winner because you probably paid yeah. nothing for him at all. And you got 30-30 out of a guy that was essentially free with a great slash line. When does that ever happen? It doesn't happen. Um, I, I, I think that the, the, the average tails off a little bit. The OBP tails off a little bit. 
I think the counting stats will be somewhat close, but yet again, if he's playing with that Baltimore lineup, it's going to be tough for him to produce with the bats that are, that are in that lineup or the lack thereof. But I think if he doesn't get traded before the season starts, I think he's definitely a guy that at the deadline we see get moved somewhere somewhere to a contender. And depending on where he goes, could help him, could hurt him. I think he's great. I agree with what you guys said. I think 2020 is obviously more likely as opposed to 30-30. That could happen again. But ultimately, if this slot in the draft, 2020 is awesome. And yeah. you are if you're taking a stolen base threat to that point, to a 20 stolen base player, you're likely getting a loss in some other category, and you're not getting that here. I think he'll hit for good enough average. I think he'll hit for power. He'll have runs in RBI, even with the Orioles being bad. I think they're not that bad, certainly at least on the offensive side. I think their pitching is atrocious. But, yeah, I totally buy his his research, not resurgence, his assurgence. Is that a word? <laughs> and so I think that uh, I see a repeat in his future, and he's going to be awesome. So, yep, totally like it. Okay, let's see here. We have number 13 on this list. This one's interesting. I'm curious to see what you guys have to say about him. It's Teoscar Hernandez. He's going with the same pick as Mullins, 33 overall. Let's see. Let's take a look at Hernandez's overall stats. Last year had 595 plate appearances, 32 homers, 12 steals, 296, 346, 524, 116 RBIs, 92 runs. So, I mean, he had over 200 runs and RBIs combined. What do you think, Ron? The book on him has always been strikes out a little too much, doesn't walk a whole lot, so there's going to be some volatility, but he's been pretty darn consistent over the last couple of years. Do you buy that? Well, what I want to say is a a 352 BABIP is not sustainable over a full season, but he did it over 143 games compared to his career BABIP of 324. He did a, he had a 348 BABIP. You know, it's a little more believable for that one in 2020 because it was over 50 games. I think you have to kind of buy into it. I mean, it's not going to surprise me if we see a little dip in that regard. And I don't know necessarily if I believe that he's a 290 hitter. I think he's more a little a little bit below that. I believe in the power. I believe in a little bit of the speed, though. So I think that's going to be there. He's He hits in a great lineup with some mashers, some guys that can get on base. So I do like that part of it. I just don't know if you can fully expect for him to give you that same slash line, but I don't think it's his slash line is not going to be anything that's going to be to your detriment. So I think he's fine here because, you know, you have a 30 home run threat guy that can steal you a handful of bases guy that will probably score a hundred runs. And, and if he's healthy, will probably be in a great position to drive in a hundred. That's pretty good across the board at this pick. Yeah. I don't think he's a player. I probably won't have because he's just not one of my guys, kind of a low yeah. walk guy who still strikes out a little too much at 24% with the high Babips, which I do think he's going to run a little bit of a high BABIP. He hits the snot out of the ball. He's a good hitter. I think he'll hit for some average and is a 30 homer, 10 steal threat. So very valuable, but something about his offensive profile has always kept me at bay with him for some reason. I'm perfectly happy being wrong about Teoscar Hernandez, but I just don't want him because I there's just so much volatility here, in my opinion, even though he hasn't shown it over the last two years. You said the 24.9% strikeout rate last year, Brian. In that shortened 2020 season, it was 30.4%, so 30%. I don't know that he can maintain a 25% strikeout rate, so suddenly that's 28%. gets a little sketchier, and that doesn't mean he can't continue doing what he's doing. I just... I just think there are less risky profiles. If he walked 10% of the time, I think I'd be inclined to be like, okay, I buy this 100%, but he's a little bit more of a free swinger, so I'm ready to just say it's not for me. But I, again, do not have a problem with him repeating or if someone argues with me, great, that's cool. 
I'm just not ready to plant my flag on Tasker Hernandez anymore. And partly that's because in the prestigious Dynasty Dynasty Baseball League, I had Tasker Hernandez and I cut him a couple of years ago because Ooh. guess what? He was awful. <laughs> anyway, he's not awful anymore. Okay, so let's power through a couple more players here. We've got Aaron Judge at pick 14. And Judge, of course, with the New York Yankees, do not have his list in front of me, but he had a pretty full season last year, if I remember co- correctly, but the power wasn't quite what it used to be in his heyday. Here we go. 39 homers. Eh, it was still right there. 633 well, yeah. plate appearances. 39 homers, 6 deals, 287, 373, 544. What do you think, Brian? Is he back then? Do you buy that 40 home runs? Or what do you think of the volatility here? He's been injury prone in the past, but wasn't last year. What do you expect to see out of Judge? This is another health thing because he's turned into quite the all-around hitter. He's cut the strikeout rate to 25%, which for a guy like Judge is great. He's just a giant mashing machine. He is a 40 home run threat. Any year he gets anything around 600 plate appearances. And if you're in an OBP league, he's a, just a monster there. And somehow kind of reliably steals a handful of bases here and there. Though I'm not like counting on that. It's something he's been regularly doing. Uh, I think he's kind of a sneaky undervalued player. And I didn't know I was going to think that going into researching but like if he is falling around to this like late third round early fourth round uh space especially if you're in an obp league i i think the power and the uh on base ability and the fact that he guys he's a career 276 hitter who i think nobody thinks of as a guy who can hit for average so he's a good hitter yeah, there, there's a lot to like about him when you get down to it, and, and I don't think that if you, I think if you're expecting the 52 homers that we got in 2017, you're not going to get that. But I think the, the, when he's healthy, the 40 homers are a real definite possibility. It is just a health thing. I mean, he's a giant, massive human being, and and so he, I think he's a little more susceptible to injury than than, than other guys are. And, more and of him Brian, to hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brian, you said something in the last. The last thing about Teoscar Hernandez, it's kind of the case for me with Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is just not one of my guys. I don't know in too many teams I've ever had him on, if any. Um, he's just probably a guy I just wanted up with. And it's not because I don't think that there's a good argument for him at this pick for everything that you get. And like you said, he's six or seven bases from a guy that is that massive that still that hits that many homers is awesome. But I just don't think he's like a guy that I'm going to have for that reason. He's just not one of my guys that I have on a lot of my teams. I might wait a few notches later and pick up an outfielder there. I like him. I think this is, I don't know, I could easily see a path to where I'm wrong here, but he's going with pick 40 overall. I find this a lot more palatable than Jordan Alvarez going 10 picks earlier. I For whatever too. reason, I He was the guy I, I was like thinking it. the whole time. I was like, if you want a guy who's going to hit 280 with 40 homers, I mean... You could wait, maybe. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit more, and here he is. And he's going to be on a really good offensive team, which Alvarez is as well, admittedly. So I think there's plenty of counting stats. And again, he's, yeah, six stolen bases last year. He had three in 2019, six in 2018, nine in 2017. He's not a zero, whereas Alvarez is a zero. Alvarez and might get be. one, being the back half of a double steal. Judge will steal a couple of bases. And I, I think every little bit you get of that helps. So totally like Judge here. Number 15 on this list is Tyler O'Neill, of course, with the St. Louis Cardinals. He's going eight picks after Judge at pick 48 overall. Ryan, we're going to toss to you first as the resident Cardinals fan. Boy, O'Neill had one hell of a season last year. And, I mean, he's been a prospect who had speed and had power. He's actually very fast, despite being just a Extremely big muscle man. Fast. 
Last year, he ended up with 34 home runs, 15 steals, 286, 352, 560. But he struck out 31% of the time and walked just 7.1% of the time. I actually brought this up to Jeff Zimmerman and Rob Silver, who I consider very smart fantasy baseball minds. And I'm like, what do you guys think? Because I just don't, I don't get the love here at pick 48. I don't know that I will ever make this pick. Is that unreasonable of me, Brian? Or do you agree? What do you see about O'Neill? I wouldn't take him here. I And he's a player I really, really like. I mean, obviously, he didn't even have a full season and went 34-15. But those parts of his skill set are totally real. As you alluded to, he is a giant, muscular man, and he's going to hit a lot of home runs. He's going to steal some bases. But he had a 366 BABIP last year and a 31% strikeout rate, as you said, Van. And I have a lot of trouble thinking he's going to hit 286 doing that again. I think of him much more of like a 25 to 30 homer guy that does steal double digit bases. So he's going to have value. But if he hits 240 or 250, I'm not going to be surprised. And ultimately, that's the problem. There is a lot to like and a lot to dislike. So what I'm about to say is going to make absolutely zero sense. So here we go. Um, <laughs> I, I love him to death because I own him in the prestigious Dynasty Dynasty Baseball League. And I picked him up off of waivers for absolutely nothing last year and got the season that I got. So it's kind of like the Cedric Mullins thing that we talked about before. I was able to get him for absolutely no cost and, and saw what he did. That said, I'm with you. I'm not in a redraft league. I am not drafting him here at all just because I don't trust it yet. I don't trust what he's doing yet. He was a prospect for a long time, got a couple call-ups, didn't really produce like we thought he was going to produce at the major league level, struck out a ton. Still struck out 31% of the time last year. You pointed out that 366 Babip. Not just he can't give you some nice counting stats. It's just I don't know if it's kind of like with Kyle Tucker. I don't know if I trust it just yet. I got to see a little more of it other than just last season. But last season was great if you were able to get him. Yeah, I just don't see myself owning Tyler Neal anywhere. And by all accounts, he could repeat. I think in his favor, working in his favor, is he's really good defensively. Well, maybe not really good. He's he solid is. defensively. He's, he's, I think, very good. Just for so, I think he'll him, but. he'll play every day for that reason. And he's a big muscle boy. He has power. He has speed. So, I think you'll get fantasy relevant stats. But if he comes out this next season in 2022 and bats 210, and you know the counting stats struggle, whatever, I'm not going to be surprised because that's just kind of the hitter he is. I mean, what happened in 2020? Oh, there you go. 157 plate appearances, 173 batting average. No, yes, it was short season plate appearances. But, yeah, but yes, it, it was all these things. But still, are you? Would you be surprised if he hit 210, Brian? I believe I just said that I wouldn't be. You just <laughs> criticized me for saying 157 plate appearances, like I was an idiot. <laughs> No, I just don't, I don't, you know, I wouldn't, the COVID year, I just don't, I don't worry too much about that. I think we have, I think we have what we, basically what we need on him, as you were saying, though. I mean, there's just no way that's sustainable. All right, well, let's move on to the next player on this list. It's Byron Buxton, the man himself. He is now the 16th outfielder off the board, going with pick 56 overall. And we all know the book on Buxton. He's really good when he plays, but he gets hurt all the time. He has not had a full season in baseball ever. 
2021, he had just 254 plate appearances, although he hit 19 homers, stole nine bases, and batted 306, 358, 647, an absurd slugging percentage and just overall slash. But again, 254 plate appearances, 135 in 2020, 295 in 2019, just 94 in 2018. What do you think, Ron? Is this the year that Byron Buxton finally puts up 700 plate appearances, or do you have to draft them and expect 450 and fill in the rest? I mean, I don't know if you can even expect 450 at this point. And and for me, Byron Buxton is a guy that I think if you looked at his stat sheet and had no idea who the name was, I know, Ben, you're not a fan of blind resumes, but I don't think that you'd be at all impressed with what this guy has done because out of you know he's gone from being the top prospect in baseball, as we used to talk about, since 2015. He's had one season where he's played over 100 games. That is it. He's had two seasons. Right? I, well, he's had only one season over 500 plate appearances and then it's 331 295 254 and and the talent is there it's just he can't keep it together health wise he doesn't walk enough strikes still strikes out you know around 25 percent of the time with a five percent walk rate i just can't get behind that i feel like if i'm drafting somebody here just looking at outfielders i feel comfortable more comfortable with probably the next four guys at least three out of the next four guys that we're going to talk about so uh, I'm not going to have any Byron Buxton at all. Yeah, zero chance of it. I, d- I don't know how at this point at age 28 you could really gamble on health here uh, with a fifth-round pick. Uh, Buxton's good when he plays, but even there, there are still holes in his game, and we don't even know. Uh, yeah, okay, and a 250-plate appearance flash from him is great, but you do have to hold up over a full season, and I, I just think this is way too high of a pick given the risk, as Van said, like he's not once played a full season. This isn't a player who you feel like you're flipping a coin. I mean, this is a lottery ticket. If he were a 40 stolen base threat, like we once thought he could be or was as a prospect, I think you could rationalize all of this, but he isn't. I think in a full season, he's a 20 stolen base threat, which is great, but that percent chance he has a full season is so low. And like you guys said, the walk rate's not great. Strikeout rate's a little too high. Injuries, 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 et cetera. So I, I just don't foresee myself doing it. I think the path to you drafting Byron Buxton is one where you've gotten, I don't know, a couple of 40 homer players who don't steal bases, but who are guaranteed like the safest bets in the world because they're always healthy year in and year out, and you just need a shot in the arm, and I just need to go for it. I think that's the only time you draft Buxton here, but it's still 56th or whatever overall. overall. It's too rich for my blood, so I think I'll pass here as well. Randy Orozarena is the 17th outfielder off the board at pick 58 overall, going two picks after Byron Buxton. And Rosarena, of course, with Ron's Rays, uh, put up 20 homers, 20 steals last year, 640 plate appear- 604 plate appearances, excuse me, 274, 356, 459. Let's go ahead and head back to Ron on this one. What do you think he'll do this year with the Rays, and do you like him at this spot? I like him at this spot, and he's one of the first guys that, if I'm drafting an outfielder around this 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 point, I feel way more comfortable with him, obviously, over Byron Buxton. I think he's still going to be a threat for 2020. You, you might see one of those categories or both maybe maybe go down just a little bit. I don't think it's going to be all that much. You might see a couple less homers, a couple less steals. All the projections have him for a couple more on each side. I hope that's definitely the case. 
I, I still strikes out quite a bit at 28%, but I would like to see that go down a little bit. But overall, he's a guy that he, he's proved, you know, last year he was in the lineup almost every day. The, the, they average in the slash line. The, the OBP is, is not going to kill you. He's just not a huge power threat, which I don't think that, he, you know, anybody's drafting him for that. Uh, and, and I think the steals are going to be there. So I, I'm fine with him at this spot. I like, and like I said, I like him way more than Buxton if I'm going with an outfielder around the spot. I think he's a lot safer than Buxton. I think the only risk you run with Rosarena is some people might bake in a little more upside than is there. He really needed all 640 of those plate appearances to hit yeah. that naked 2020 mark. It's like the Mullins had the bare 30 30 and Rosarena had the bare 2020. And with Rosarena, I think that's about what, what is there, which is super useful. I think he's a good fantasy player, but I don't think there's a lot more. You know, the book on him when he was a prospect, well, not a prospect, I guess would be a better way to say it, is that the power really wasn't present, and he bulked up. He put on a lot of muscle, a little bit of weight, and that's why we've kind of seen the power really show up over the last couple of years, but it has happened to the detriment of his defense. He is actually a bad defender now, and I think the Rays are a little more privy to that than just about anybody, so maybe that starts eating to his playing time. I don't think so, but it's just something that's kind of in the back of my mind, and you guys are right. He's a uh, he, he needs all of his plate appearances to get to his arbitrary numbers. That doesn't mean he's not good, and I think he certainly fits in if you're looking for a little bit of stolen bases here, but I don't know that I would be uber excited to take Randy Rosarena here, but... Uh, I, don't, I don't think he's going to have a bad year by any stretch of the imagination. So at the very least, you're going to get some it's value. Like a, you're eating your vegetables if you're taking him here. Like you're just, you know, you're contributing across the board a little bit. Sure. Yeah, that's fair to say. So next up, we have Eloy Jimenez, number 18, pick 70 overall. Jimenez with the Chicago White Sox put up 10 homers across 231 plate appearances, 249, 303, 437. He, of course, was hurt last year. Coming into the season was going to be. I don't know, a highly drafted and sought-after player, but it just didn't work out because he got hurt. Brian, what's the upside? Do you think he's back to being full health? Can we just say, oh, well, it was a lost season. He's a 35-home run threat with a good average. What do you expect to see? I don't think we can necessarily say he's a guarantee to get back there just because he's so young. I mean, he's he's so new into his career. But I do think that's what you're hoping for. I think with Eloy, he's a four-category guy. He will not run at all. But the idea is that when fully healthy, he's going to hit for enough average, 30 homers, 90-plus of everything else. The thing about him, though, is uh, I'll give my OBP caveat. He doesn't walk as much as a lot of the other guys with similar offensive skill sets higher up on the board. And there is that injury risk a little bit here, as well as the variance of being a young player still adjusting. Yeah, I I don't know if I really know what I'm going to get from him other than home runs. I don't know if I'm going to get the 267 average or the 296 that we saw in 2020. A lot of variables here. You need to see a little bit more of him to to kind of peg what I think I'm going to get. Um, I would say of of the guys after you know still in the top 20 after Byron Buxton, I'd say he's probably the next one of the guys that I feel a little bit shaky about. I think I'd you know either take a Rosarena a little bit earlier if I'm picking around 70 here. I think I like the the next couple of guys, especially the last guy that we're probably going to talk about on this list. 
yeah, I don't see myself drafting Jimenez. Another one that I don't really want to argue with you about, it's fine if you believe that strongly and I'm okay with it, but I think really the thing I would say here is in a draft, I'm probably going after some pitchers at this point because I've skipped them in the first handful of rounds, and there are a lot of pitchers that I like at this spot in the draft, so ultimately he's going to be a casualty of me looking elsewhere to fill out my team in this draft. Nick Castellanos is up next, the 19th outfielder, and he's going to pick 71, just one pick later. Castellanos, of course, has become an elite power threat after not really being one for the first half of his career. But last year, 34 home runs in just 585 plate appearances, 195 runs in RBI combined, just three steals, 309, 362, 576. Ron, the book on him as a prospect was that he could hit for average. Power is going to be okay. Maybe 20 stolen bases in the best of years. That's completely different. He's hit for average minus the 2020 season and hit for real power. 34 home runs last year. Do you buy that? What do you think of him at this slot? And, of course, he doesn't have a team, but he'll sign somewhere by opening day for sure. Yeah, for sure, and it, I don't think it's going to affect him no matter where he goes. I, he's, he's a great player. He's a great hitter. I think he's super underrated. I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. We've talked about him on this this show and on the Dynasty show forever, it seems like at this point. And he's still just 29 years old. Uh, or Actually, he might have turned 30 heading into this season. I think he did, or he will turn 30 this season, it looks like. Or actually next month. So he'll be hit 30 heading into the year. But I, I think he'll be fine. You might see a dip in the average. I don't know if I believe in him as a 309 hitter uh, for more than just a season. But even if that comes down a little bit, you're still going to get great stats from him. You're not getting any steals. But at this point, you're not getting a lot of guys that are going to give you a ton of steals in the draft anyway. So I, I think he's a nice value here. I think he's a great player. I think he's a great hitter, and you get a lot from him. Yeah, this is a good spot for for Castellanos. It's also my problem with him before was what you said, Van, the lack of like roster-changing power. He added some of that last year with a career-low strikeout rate at the same time. And I think of him as more of a safe average guy, and I do think the power might decrease a little bit, just kind of as he tends to hit more line drives and fewer deep fly balls. But he's still like a lock to hit for average with 25 homers and like, you know, maybe 100 of each of runs in RBI. He's just a really good player, and I'm surprised he it just never seems to get passed around this range in terms of ADP. Yeah, 280 to 300 batting average with 25 to 28 home runs is what I'm going to bank on with him. And that's under projection systems. It's under what he could potentially do. So I like him here. I think he's a really good pickup. And the runs in RBI cannot be discounted. Obviously, he goes to a bad team. Maybe there's a little bit less of a chance for that. But I still think he'll be able to do it as a pure middle-of-the-order hitter. Final guy that we're going to discuss today, it's George Springer, 20th outfielder off the board for Toronto, 73 overall. Springer last year got hurt and missed quite a bit of time, but when he played, which was about half a season, he had 342 plate appearances, 22 home runs, four steals, 264, 352, 555. I'll go first on this one. I love George Springer. I think he's awesome. I think prior to this year, he was not really an injury threat or an injury risk, 556 plate appearances in 2019. Before that, previous three seasons were 620, 629, 744. I think he's healthy, and I think he'll get right back to 600 plate appearances. And if that happens, we've learned that the power is immense. I think he's a 40-home run threat. We've learned that he can steal some bases. I think he can steal 5 to 10. And I think he's going to hit 265, which isn't great, but it's perfectly acceptable, particularly at this spot in the draft. So I really like Springer. He's on the Blue Jays, and he'll hit in the middle of that lineup after Vlad Jr. and some other good hitters. So I like him a lot. What do you think, Brian? Would you take Springer at this spot? 
Definitely. He's another guy who has a weird reputation of being injury prone, but isn't. Uh, he, he really, as you illustrated, Van, has only missed time significantly last season out of his since he really rose to prominence. And I think he's fully capable of just stepping back into his old role at 32 on the Jays hit for a solid enough average with just a bunch of power and counting stats. Yeah, not a whole lot to add there. I, I like him a lot here too. And, and, and you know, like you said, immediately what I thought of him and I looked him up, first thing I thought was, man, this guy's hurt all the time. He's really not. He really does give you a lot of plate appearances and he has that perception. And I think if you can kind of see past that and realize that he doesn't, that might work to your 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 benefit in the draft. You might be drafting with people that that have that that injury label on him and it's really not the case but i would take him i would take him over eloy jimenez here um i'd probably take him over randy rosarena here as much as i like randy rosarena kind of depends on how your roster is constructed here but i i think if you're getting him at pick 73 or if you can even get him later it says the max pick on him he was picked at pick 90 if i get george springer at pick 90 i mean that's all that's basically stealing from the rest of the people in your league well, I don't yeah, want to totally. preview next week too much, but if you do, if you miss out on Springer, the twenty-first guy is Tommy Edmond. <laughs> oh boy! Well, there you go. So you're saying not of much a, of a drop-off then? Yeah, same not, kind of guy. And what's the with a pick difference here? Uh, Springer seventy-three, Edmonds eighty, so it's not a huge difference. Pretty close. Picks. So there you go. That's the top twenty outfielders. We're going to come back next week with the rest of the outfielders. I don't know how deep we'll go, but we'll give you our favorite ones overall and favorite late choices and so on and so forth. So thanks once again for tuning in. Patreon.com slash Inc. if you want to give support the show and give us a rate and review on iTunes or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call all of them. We appreciate it. So before we get out of here, guys, do you want to say some curse words or something that I need to bleep? Damn it. <laughs> fart face <laughs> uh, I actually took me by surprise on there alright well may the fancy gods shine upon you <laughs>